You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 406. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 406. You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hello, audience. Amy here. I am so pumped to bring you another episode of The Joy Junkie Show. We are continuing with a two-part series on criticism. And if you are like most people, criticism can be a massive punch in the gut. So I shared a bunch of tools and tips last week. Be sure to check out 405. And this week, I am going to see if I can grab an expert on the subject specifically of criticism inside of relationships. I have a buddy, Dr. Jessica Higgins, who is such a badass. She has two graduate degrees in psychology, plus two coaching certifications, and over 20 years of experience helping clients achieve really successful results in the field of intimacy and a connectivity within uh, oftentimes a marital relationship. But if you are single or you have a lot of criticism in a relationship, let's say with your family member, your mom or your sibling, maybe even with a coworker or that one friend of yours who always seems to nitpick every single thing that you do, this can absolutely be applied to you as well. So I don't want you to tune out if you think that it's only about intimate partnerships. That's absolutely not the case. So if I'm able to grab Jessica on the phone, fingers crossed, I hope that I'm able to reach her. I'm going to give her a dial up here in a second. I think she will be able to shed a lot of light on things that you can specifically do to start mitigating that criticism. Because the the bottom line is we all do it. It's actually part of our wiring and our primitive makeup. It's a way in which we are trying to get our needs met and to stay safe. So this is not a place for you to go, oh, holy shit, I'm so critical of people. It's to shed the light on areas where you might need a little bit of awareness so that you can start making change. If you've been around these parts long enough, you'll know that I always say awareness is the win. It's the crucial place where you can start to create change. And I will also say that this is one of the subjects that I contend with all the time with my clients and students. Why? Because we are constantly in relationship with other people. And for most people, when you experience a lot of criticism or rejection from any other party, it is so normal and natural that we collapse that with our self-worth. We think if that person doesn't approve of me, if that person doesn't like me, if they're critical of me, that must mean I'm not valuable. I'm not enough. And that is the most prevailing theme that I see with the women that I work with. So if if you tend to deal with that, it's likely that you try to garner approval from other people through some specific behavioral tactics like people pleasing, perfectionism. Maybe if I'm flawless, then I'll be enough. Maybe then they'll approve of me. 
all the while you're riddled with self-doubt. So if that happens to be you and you are fed the fuck up with it and you are ready to make some very serious change, I encourage you to check out thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. We'll also throw that into the show notes. This is a complimentary workshop masterclass that I've created for you where I cover off five major things that you need to implement, and I talk to you exactly about why, in order to start shifting that need for approval, feeling not enough, always caring so much about what other people think. And it really sizes up the work that I do in my signature program, which is called Deep Down and Dirty. And if you're interested in taking a deeper dive after you've watched the workshop and it's really calling to you and, oh my gosh, maybe Deep Down and Dirty really is the right path for me, you'll see an opportunity to book a call with a member of my team. The call is completely complimentary so that you can discuss if Deep Down and Dirty as a program, as a deeper dive, is something that you want to invest your time and energy into. So again, thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. And without further ado, let me try to give a little ring to Dr. Jessica Higgins. Hello, this is Jessica. Jessica, hey, it's Amy. Oh my goodness. Hi, Amy. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I'm awesome. So I, I'm here with the audience and we've been talking about different relationship dynamics, whether it's interpersonal relationships or intimate partnerships. And I know that you are the absolute authority, whether you would acknowledge it or not, on criticism inside of relationships. So I'm wondering if you have a handful of minutes to to chat about some stuff. I'd love to run some stuff by you. Mm, yes, I'd be honored to. Thank you for thinking of me. Okay, good. So I didn't catch you like on the toilet or anything. <laughs> it's an okay time. Okay, good, good, good. Yes, yes. All right. Awesome. So I want to talk to you specifically about criticism because I know that this is something that you focus on a lot in your work. So what do you think is happening when criticism is largely at play inside of a relationship? Hmm. Well, I want to just acknowledge that criticism is something I think particularly in the Western cultures were really, uh, groomed or even like is developed in this, this critical thinking. And I work with a lot of really high level clients that are like executives, scientists, attorneys, physicians, and even just clients that are just really looking to up-level themselves. And I do think that this high intention and high thinking Mm -hmm. really sets fertile ground for analytic mind. And that can apply to any industry. And look, people who are in their field of expertise might be making decisions and calling shots and needing that critical. And and it's really largely reinforced. Like it's a huge skill. Mm -hmm. And then when we switch over to relationship, that same skill set is problematic and is not well-received. Most people, Amy, are not keen on unsolicited feedback. 
right? That's editorial or critical, especially from their loved one. So it's almost as if the relational space is an entirely different uh, ball game, if you will. It's putting on a different hat and then the necessity for that. So what's at play is oftentimes people are using their intellect to try to get a need met or to try to address an issue. Like I have, Hey, like I have a problem with this or protesting that critical delivery sets it off on an entirely different track than the one that's intended. I would think. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's such a primitive response, right? Like if we feel critically attacked, we will immediately go into that fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And it's interesting. I was thinking, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the National Science Foundation had come out with that study around how we have between 12 to 60,000 thoughts a day, and they're predominantly negative. And it comes from this notion of scanning for threat. Like we're always scanning for threat. And I think that can largely be applicable to criticism that we're like, oh, uh, you're nitpicking about me or you're frustrated with me. I must be in danger. Send in all of the fear responses, send in the either exactly. the, the running away or whatnot. Precisely. And to your point, the normal human reaction is to be really defensive. And underneath that, as you're talking about, is this real threat response. And to add to what you're saying, Amy, in our primary love relationships, we want to feel safe. We want to feel a sense of being seen and understood and the sense of refuge with our other, right? We, who's the person? It's our person. We turn to them for comfort. We turn to them for reassurance and we want to feel positively regarded. And so in our, in our safe space, if we're getting this and look, criticism on of its own, in and of itself can seem very minor. So it's really a little deceptive to look at it at such a problematic viewpoint. But as you know, John Gottman and the Gottman Institute really targets this as one of the major predictors for divorce, right? It's a cumulative effect that really creates a wedge in the bond. So to just add not only to that threatening stance, it's really problematic when we really are wired up for connection and to be bonded with our significant other in a really safe way. So it creates a sense of unsafety or yeah, where it's not safe. Right. It's interesting, a, a handful of years ago, it's probably in about 2018, I taught a relationship course where we talked specifically about what Gottman refers to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And one of them is criticism, which we're obviously talking about today. But he discusses how what you're talking about, sort of this compound effect, if it's not mitigated in some way, becomes contempt. Yes. And, and I think that's a really important distinction of what it sounds like to be critical of somebody versus what it elevates to or escalates to, to be, uh, have contempt towards someone. And yes. I know you have a, a brilliant, uh, free ebook that we'll definitely link to that talks about specific verbiage of criticism, what it sounds like, but could you distinct, uh, distinguish between those two a little bit of like, what does it sound like if someone were to say something critically to you versus contemptuous. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you're already setting it up that there's a cumulative effect in the kind of climate of the relationship. So the space 
that's within the relationship. So Gottman also talks about this positive sentiment versus mm-hmm. negative sentiment. So there's this downward spiral when often when I work with couples, we can start with one part, but usually there's reaction, reaction, reaction. And it's hard to actually find the beginning because people are like, you gave me that look, or you gave me that tone, or you said this. And it's like this constant reacting. If we fast forward, it could be weeks, months, years of this sense of not feeling safe. Right. And then we add in that sense of threat, which contributes to not feeling safe, but also contributes to protection right? That defensiveness is one way and one tendency of protecting against which, what feels like an attack. So when we're guarded, we don't feel safe. That sense of connection really gets depleted and we don't typically want to let our guard down, be vulnerable, really enter into that deeper level of intimacy. And we possibly might even turn away. So our partner who we are wired up to feel really a sense of safety and soothing with and comfort with becomes sometimes the enemy. And when we start protecting ourselves, and this is where competition can comes in, comes into place, excuse me, come in, comes into play. And then also what you're talking about is contempt. So contempt really has that character, really global and disdain and dislike and this person is no longer someone that you associate a lot of positivity with, right? There's a large association with negativity and it starts to turn in towards, sometimes even you'll hear people say hate or they do things that they are like, this isn't me. I don't know myself to be this person. And I am in a completely different place than I've known and I don't want to be in and I don't like. And so it can activate a lot of this and, and accumulate cumulatively be super problematic. And this is where people can do and say things that are really harmful and hurtful. And also to your point, just end relationship. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really sad, actually. It's, it's interesting to watch that sort of evolution where then you, like I've had situations with my husband where because we have such positive regard for one another, and I think Gottman calls it a positive sentiment override or negative sentiment override, where, you know, when we've had little blips on the radar, because we've built up so much positive equity, I guess, in our relationship, and I surmise it's the same with you and your partner, that it's easy to, to positively override some of those things that, that we're maybe entrenched with some criticism or maybe little blips of contempt, but able to get through it because the, the overall piece of it, you know, the relationship is surrounded in positivity. And uh, so I, the way I perceive it and tell me if this is accurate or not, that criticism is, is, is like contempt light (laughs) where it's almost like, it might sound something like, why do you always do that? Or why do you always get in my way with that? Or it seems like you are always uh, being so negative to me about my work versus contempt is you are a vile individual or like name calling and ascribing really awful <laughs> nomenclature to your to your partner saying like you're, you are a demon or a bitch or an awful human type of thing. Mm, yes. Well, I agree with you. And I I was mentioning the positive sentiment override and just like that 
goodwill that we're able to have some buffer, right? Against what might feel a little bit off-putting or even like a slight. And my experience of the criticism, even though it might feel on the receiving end as like light contempt, most people who are engaging in a critical comment, I don't think are intending to be hurtful. Right. It's, it's actually more of a safe way to ask for a need or a pointing out a concern or it's less vulnerable. And this i found really to be true again with people who are really high achieving, sometimes even type A or grew up in environments where there was a lot of pressure to perform or even the emotions were really not seen or attuned with. So it's like this real learning that emotions are not to be dealt with. It's kind of like go to your room and cry it out by yourself or don't even like, let's not even talk about it. So it's almost like the vulnerability and the emotional space is not welcomed or denied or suppressed. And so the intellect tends to be a safer way to engage with others. And then you add in, like I mentioned, the cultural piece that we're so reinforced by being so intellectual and being able to organize and identify and point out. And like that's such a, yes. a, a skill set. But again, when we put that into relationship, that that is exactly the opposite of what people are looking for. So I think that it's people's best attempt to engage in getting some attention around an issue or to ask for what they're needing, but in a real uh, protective packaged intellectual way to, like I said, to feel safer about it. I've had many conversations with clients specifically around this issue where their partner, like a very common one, it, you know, perhaps their, their partner is saying something like, gosh, you work so much or you never leave work at, you know, you bring it home all the time. And that's the guarded way of saying, I want more of you. I miss you. I want, yes, exactly. Precisely. And sometimes what's even really in myself included, like I think as humans, this is super, super common that we might not even know our need, or we might not even know the vulnerable feeling underneath because on the outside, the first thing that's apparent and visible is ouch. And what, what is the source of the ouch? <laughs> I mean, like there's so many times in the past and like, I, I, I've evolved this a lot for myself, but I'll tell you, there's still there are moments where I might feel so angry and so frustrated with my husband. And literally if I don't journal and get like the first thing out of my mouth. And even when I do journal is like, he's such a jerk. And yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, that's what feels so apparent. And I have to unpack it to really access those deeper layers. And we don't typically slow down enough to understand what those deeper, more vulnerable feelings are. And I think too, well, first same girl, same. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really feel like even, even for individuals who teach this shit, like <laughs> you still have to walk your talk. I still have a therapist. I still have a coach. Like <laughs> me too. You, Me too. It, you can't see what you can't see in your own behavior, especially if you're used to analyzing it through your own lens. So, so you were asking me about is criticism or in your opinion, you you've been viewing criticism as light contempt. Mm. And I think on the receiving end, I would actually really agree with that's what it feels like, but I, I don't, 
my experience is that typically people aren't intending to be hurtful or rude or cruel. I think it's just when it escalates to like that negative sentiment override or really gets to a place of the disconnect cycle is at play and people don't feel safe with each other that our partner starts to feel like the, um, the, the, a real threat, just them and them, them in themselves. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, another thing that I think is really interesting about the concept of criticism as a ineffective way of getting needs met. Sometimes I think it's, and tell me what your perspective is on this. It's not even that it's a need to be fulfilled from your partner. It could be that you have a need in your friendship or in your workplace or something like that. And it's coming out as criticism, like you fix it, you become all the things that I need. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I would say it can be a need. It can be an attachment longing. It could be an attachment injury. And what I mean by attachment is that sense of feeling safe and bonded with another. And this is where we add in upbringing, previous pain, trauma, betrayals, that if we have known a certain experience in relationship, our nervous system is going to be like you said, tracking for this has been scary in the past. So your partner could be, or let's say, I'll just use myself in this example. If my significant other is super neutral and let's say he's not even doing anything that is really problematic, but perhaps it's a a situation, let's, I'm just totally making this up. Let's say we go to a party and let's say I, I don't know, I had an experience in the past where my significant other was flirting with someone and then it got super ugly or whatever. I don't know. I'm making this up. So if we were to go to a party and let's say he's being super stand up, solid person, And just that environment triggers a past injury or a past trauma. My nervous system is going to be in that sympathetic, hypervigilant state of like, am I safe? Is this okay? And I might perceive even a neutral cue as negative that then could get me into this reaction. And, and then we go to the criticism as a source to try to alleviate that distress. But if we don't have the awareness of the deeper, experience, which could be the vulnerability. It could be the fear. It could be trauma. It could be a need. And if we're not aware, then that, again, it all gets channeled to criticism. And then what the other thing I just want to say is that what's really problematic on the receiving end when one is criticizing is they have no idea (laughs) what's really going on underneath. All they hear is what is about them and they have no idea what is really going on. So again, putting this in my frame, if my significant other, and I'm coming at him with criticism as we're at this party, he has no idea I'm freaked out. He has no idea, maybe even that I had this horrible, horrific experience. And I'm, I'm like trembling. Like, cause if he knew that it'd be so much easier to turn towards that and be able to comfort and soothe. That's right. That's right. So it, it's, it's really interesting that a lot of times when I'm talking to a client about this sort of an incident, I will say, don't make your current partner pay for the sins of your ex, <laughs> right? But yeah. we could also say like, don't make your current workplace pay for the sins of your last workplace or 
Don't make your current partner pay for the sins of your parent. You know, like that's where we all kind of carry on our own trauma. And it doesn't mean that it's not a viable trauma. It just means that the way that you're processing may be misappropriated. It may be misdirected. And that's an inside job. That's us to, you know, kind of unpack and, and look at. But there was something else that you were talking about around them having no idea. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the ways I've described this in the past is the surface issue versus the root issue. Mm-hmm. So the surface issue in that situation would be presented as, oh, you're, you're doing this thing to me. You're causing me this pain. When the root issue is not really that, it's, oh, this mirrored something for me in my past that triggered a response when objectively, when I stand outside of it, you've done nothing wrong, you know? And so the root issue there is something that I need to work with, not necessarily something that's fundamentally flawed in the relationship or that's a you and me issue. It might just be a me issue. (laughs) And then sometimes it's opposite. Well, yes. And I guess I would just add that even if it is a me issue, and we're in relationship, my partner's gonna want typically to know about my me issue because it's impacting the relationship as well. And that if I can reveal that inside part, regardless of whatever that is, whether or not it's a longing or fear, then my significant other will be much more able to respond and that's gonna create intimacy. Yes that's going to create the bonding. That's going to help my partner feel like, oh my gosh, I was able to see you and understand you more deeply. Now this makes so much more sense and I want to help. And then on the receiving end, it's like, oh my gosh, this thing I felt so alone with and have felt so much pain around, I can feel comforted with and feel not that it's not mine. It's still mine. I'm standing on my own two feet. I'm not leaning on my significant other to be responsible, but if in relationship, That seeing and that holding and that being with is so much more tolerable. There's so much more research when we can hold the hand of a loved one that we feel safe with. The world is not as scary. So on the receiving end, if I get to feel my partner show up for me and offer that comfort and that soothing, I don't have to feel so alone. I don't have to feel so, and, and as, like I was saying that, I am responsible to stand on my own two feet, right? It's not that I am leaning or being dependent or making my partner responsible for my my stuff, but that being able to feel my partner with me and being able to offer that help and that comfort. If we are with a loved one and connected to them and feel safe and resourced by that relationship, we will anticipate that mountain to be less an elevation and less difficult to like that it would require less. And we also will anticipate our resources higher. So, mm-hmm. so our ability to kind of assess threats is greatly improved by this bondedness and this sense of resource and relationship. And you're also so much more able to advocate for what you need, right? So in that same anecdote, if you have a full understanding of your own triggers and processing your own, you know, trauma, 
and recognizing, oh, I see what's happening here. You can better say, hey, those sorts of things tend to get me. Here's my specific request. Would you be up for more words of affirmation in those instances? Would you be willing to remind me that you think Mm -hmm. that I'm so beautiful because it's a specific trigger, you know, so, so you can kind of advocate for that when you're coming from a place of, Hey, here's my own shit. I recognize this is not your responsibility, but it can catapult that, that intimacy simply from you being able to advocate for what you need in those instances. Hmm. Absolutely. And I'm just really aware, Amy, as we're talking that this can sound so much easier said than done. Yes. And when I reflect on these like sweaty 10 minute conversations <laughs> or just where my knees are shaking, I remember this was years and years ago, probably like seven years ago. And my husband and I were in the midst of a conflict and I believe we've really earned security in our bond and we've been together for many, many, many years. And his tendency tends to be a little bit more turning, turning towards himself. So more of those avoidant tendencies. And I have had more of those anxious tendencies. We're Mm -hmm. just seeking for like, are we good? Are you good? Am I, am I good? So just as a little bit of a backdrop there. And we were in this conflict and I remembered feeling, cause I had some real significant loss when I was young. Um, my biological father died and anyway, so I have known abandonment in my history. And so that will has come up for me and used to come up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it still is there, but I worked so much with it. Uh, so it's not as intense. However, if I look back at this moment and we were in this conflict and I was doing my very, very best to like, okay, it's not that like everything I was running through in my mind is like, he's, he's, he's this and he's that. And, but this, and, you know, I was trying to point out all of these things and I kept staying with it and I was like, okay, what is this for me? What is this for me? And I remember, and it's this real distinct for me, visceral difference between logically identifying the issue versus feeling in my body, this vulnerability in my gut and in my life. It's like the very thing I don't want to say. Right. And I sometimes feel ashamed about or feel inadequate around. And I remember just feeling so vulnerable and I, oh, the courage to even, but part of this, I probably, I'm sure you agree with this, that being in the work, I will say I have so much more trust in the process, even though it doesn't alleviate the discomfort along the way. I just know that it works where the other (laughs) ways don't. So anyway, so this moment I'm feeling this and it was something to the effect of like, I just was afraid that he didn't want to resolve it. Mm. And while that might've, it seems silly to him when I voiced it, I was like, I just, will you remind me that you want to resolve this or that we will work on this? And I can even feel the emotion now when I'm talking. It was just like such a like terrifying moment to show that and also to be feeling it. And and like, look, we are so wired up. Like we've been talking to be surviving and be strong and be competent and protected. And so in relationship, it's such an irony that they're the person that matters most and the stakes are the highest. And yet 
where intimacy is fostered is in this vulnerability, is in this showing these deeper parts. So I mustered up the courage and I said, I'm just afraid, or I just want to know that you want to resolve this. And he was like, of course I want to resolve this. And of course we're going to get through this. Like it was like nothing for him. And I literally felt this wash of relief and just this wave of like, that's all I needed was just to feel reassured that we will get through this and that he wants to resolve it. Cause sometimes his actions, at least in the past, (laughs) we've evolved. It's like a totally different dynamic now, but in the past on the outside, I couldn't see evidence of him turning towards me. So it looked as though, right. He might not be, and I didn't know, and it would freak me out. So, yes. you know, to be able to kind of, and, and to your point, the more that we get iteration and practice with this and we feel this vulnerability and then our partner turns towards us, oh, that's like, that's all that we need. And it can just cut right through so much bullshit, right? Like we could cycle for hours and hours and hours and run hours going round and round talking about content. But at the end of the day, if I'm just scared, you don't want to work this out with me. We're never going to get there. Right. Right. Like that's, that's that underlying issue of like, if we have this foundation, then we can continue to nitpick this content. (laughs) But I just need to know Mm -hmm. that this isn't like deal breaker status. Right. And, you know, something that kind of came up for me when you were talking about that is the way that people exhibit communication versus what is actually happening for them emotionally. And this is something I've had to really navigate it. I sense you, you and I are similar in this way that I'm extremely demonstrative. My, you know, I talk with my hands. Uh, My mom would always say, well, if we tied Amy's hands behind her back, she wouldn't be able to talk Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, you know, excited looks extremely gregarious and loud and right. And sad is like the depths of despair. There's no misunderstanding where I'm at. So as somebody who's highly expressive like that, if I see somebody else who, who may have the equal amount of emotion going on, but they don't show it physically, we start to interpret that to mean, oh, well, that's not what love looks like, or that's not what compassion looks like. That's not what excited or sadness looks like. Why aren't they distressed over this the way I am, right? Mm-hmm. And so we take sort of their behavioral cues and bodily cues and we go, they don't feel the same way I do. And I really think that speaks to what you were talking about just a second ago of genuinely saying, Hey, I'm not seeing this on you (laughs) because maybe it looks different than how I would express it. I need to know that you want to work through this. Here's my very specific request. Will you say these things? And it, it, it just, it cuts out so much, uh, of us creating this hyperbolic story of where that person is. Mm -hmm. We just, just tell me. Well, yes. And I would add that so often in personal growth, psychology, coaching, people can get really attached to the mechanics or the technique and even do and say the right thing. And we're constantly co-regulating with each other's nervous systems. So it's the way we say it, the intonation, Mm -hmm. the tone of voice, the facial expressions, the breathing, this is all happening on such a sub awareness level. 
And if we aren't, if I'll just say in myself, if I'm not accessing that deeper place, it can still sound critical. If I'm in my intellect and protective place and I'm pointing out that I need you to tell me, you know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. there's still going to be perceiving from me on the outside that something they're doing isn't good enough or that they're not hitting the mark or they're not, it's not, yeah, not good enough. And so that can still hook that cycle. But if I can be really in my place, which, and I'll also say, this is probably way too much information to try to pack in and just this episode, but in the early stages of our dating, this is probably like 2006. I remember practicing this work on a different scale. Cause we weren't, we were still in that like first year and I would voice vulnerability. And I remember feeling like at that point, I had no idea if he was like really invested or not. And it allowed me, the other benefit of this is that it allowed me to have my own back. Like I didn't know what he was going to do, but I was in that vulnerable place of just honoring that this, whatever that vulnerable thing was and that I had me. Yes. So that was a real beautiful learning along the way as well. And so I just wanted to comment that when we access these deeper layers, it can help soften and help regulate because even if I'm saying something that's not pretty or even if somebody's owning something that could sound really scary to the other person, there's a nervous system, like attunement of like, I'd been feeling that it almost validates that like, right. I, that, that feels like truth to me. And so there's a sense of regulating. And when we can regulate our nervous systems, this is where I think we can start to do what you were describing around giving benefit of the doubt. We can feel some groundedness and, and start to have these deeper conversations that don't feel so threatening. Cause we have some foundation to work from that is more regulated. And especially when we add in commitment in a longer term relationship that we do really want to invest in the relationship. So there's a lot of different layers here, sure. but I do think the nervous system and slowing down and regulating and that, you know, we could get attached to the, even like reading the guide that I have, like, I think if it's delivered in a, in a certain tone, it still probably wouldn't work. Right. Right. I think what that all comes down to is, is genuine authenticity. Right. And, and if you are, again, you know, being really demanding, knowing that that can put somebody on the defensive again. So, so I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit here Mm -hmm. and look at, okay, if people are listening and they're going, okay, yeah, I definitely know that I'm critical of my partner or, or even other relationships of Mm -hmm. my parents or work relationships. What are some of your favorite tactics to start shifting out of criticism? I do want to comment that a lot of times people have gotten feedback that they are critical, right? And so some people are just like, I'm going to just cold stop. (laughs) I'm just not going to do this anymore. And typically it will work for a little while, but it won't actually be sustainable because of the things that we're describing. And 
the other thing that's really challenging and stopping this is sometimes we, it can feel a little even addictive, right? We get this adrenaline hit sometimes when we rattle off or fire off a criticism and we address something because in some ways we are trying to address our needs. So there's some type of charge around it. And then that, you know, that cutting witting comment can feel like competition in the sense of assessment and one-upping and that type of thing. So I think we have talked a little bit about this. I mean, there's so much more I can say, because again, the other thing I said is that it's a coping strategy, right? We go to the intellect to feel safer and there's also a fear response at play. So really to reverse engineer this, I think one of the best tips and tools is to do this reflection, whether or not it's with a coach or a therapist or even your journal or someone you or some place in nature where you can start to say, okay, that's first layer. And what else? What, or even one question I find very helpful is if my partner would do the X, Y, and Z, the thing that I'm pointing out, what would that allow me to feel? Because that's just another way of accessing. There's plenty of ways to access what might be at the root of this. And like I was saying, there's been times in my relationship where I will journal and it's all about what a jerk my husband is. And then I get to the thing underneath and it's like, oh, <laughs> yes. And then I feel it. And then I'm like, okay, that's the thing. And then I would believe, and this is where Gottman really, I love quoting him and I don't have the exact quote, but he says underneath each criticism is an unmet need or a deep longing that if we can recognize there is something in it, whether or not it's a previous pain or a longing or something that's not working for us. And we're having a really uh, an issue with, and we want to bring attention to it right? The first human response, and I'm not, I don't want to make this bad, but is to perhaps be critical. So that's just first layer. And so we really want to do the work sure. ahead of time before we enter into these conversations so that our partner can hear us and respond to us, right? Because if we, as we've talked about in this show, if we lead with the criticism, which is the super easy first layer, they're going to respond to that content. No, I'm not. That's not entirely true. Here's all the reasons why you're wrong. And then you're off and running on that track. And if the goal is, hey, I have something that feels hard and I would love some attention around or I want to talk about or try to resolve, they need to hear that to yeah. bring, let's like pull their attention to that and feature that. Then they're more likely to respond, especially when we're revealing our underbelly, like that vulnerable part, and they can sense. Mm oh, this is, and maybe even front-loading it. Like, this is a little scary to say, or I'm embarrassed to say, or I feel ashamed to say, or I'm shy to say, or this feels difficult. Can we just tread lightly here? And then I want to be vulnerable and then show that part. Likely, more often, I'm very, I don't think I've ever seen, well, I have seen. <laughs> more often than that, though, people will respond favorably. Even if it's difficult for them to trust or hear, it's, there's an attunement there that like, okay, I, I see you and whether or not it's super easy to turn to, that's a whole other story that that's more of the advanced, like where the cycles have escalated. But so that's, those are some of the, the things that I'll just mention today, unless you have a, 
I can offer more too, if you'd like. That No, that's fantastic. In fact, it reminds me of something that I instituted with my husband very early on when we realized that when we were in the middle of being critical mm. of one another and we would escalate into some sort of fight, what you argue about is who's right. Like you're, you're fighting for your rightness and you're not real. And again, that's, that's primitive defense. We're not looking at oh, wow, how can I be better for that person? Like you said, when you go to your journal, it's all the things that are wrong with your partner. So one of the things that we started doing was making a commitment that the minute it started to get too escalated and we were fighting so hard for being right, that we would take our time to separate for like a good two hours and that we would allow that heated emotion to start coming down and the, our commitment to one another is to look at our role in the matter. Like what, what do I need to mm -hmm. own about this? But at the very beginning of that separation, you can't even see that because all you can see is how they fucked up and how they're mm -hmm. wrong. And God damn it, if they would have just done this differently. And, but you need that, that element of time, I think, to kind of come down off of that intensity of emotion before you can stop and contemplate on what you could have done better or what, what you might need to ask for or what you might need to own and saying, Hey, that was unfair. I'm actually super stressed out about my work and I took it out on you and that I need to own that. Right. That's not nearly, or maybe yes, that does frustrate me, but not, it did not warrant the explosion mm -hmm. that I gave you. <laughs> That's really about my work or this issue with my mom. So I think taking sort of that time to just give yourself some space because yeah, like you said, at the very beginning, it's going to be all their fault. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's super beautiful. What you and your husband are practicing because there's so much in that, that, right. We need at least 20 minutes for our nervous system to calm down where we can even begin to start thinking more rationally, right? Like our prefrontal cortex gets on board. And then not only in what you're describing in this space, would we be able to reflect on what we, what our experience is staying in our lane, right? That's a one, a really good tool too, is just like, how much am I talking about the other person versus how much am I talking about what's going on for me? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What does this remind me of? All of that, that helps me stay in my lane. And yeah, to your point about being right, oftentimes people are trying to reconstruct reality and then they're, and we largely get things wrong. It's just totally evident. It's based and research-based that we will perceive inaccurately, particularly when things are escalated. Uh, but what you guys, yes. what you're describing that you and your husband do is even another step further. It's with the history, with the knowing of each other and the dynamic and being able to inter like really look at putting yourself in the other person's perspective, or just even looking at the impact of perhaps your behavior. And it's uh, extending a lot of really goodwill to validate some possibilities that can be really owned and acknowledged that really create such a safe place to engage in a more meaningful, really like honoring conversation. Thank you. It's definitely been decades in the making, uh, but I can tell you that in the 24 years that we've been together, there's been, there have been maybe 
two instances where we came back together to discuss where we genuinely felt like it was, it was really one person's Mm. thing to own where it was like, that was uncalled for. I did do, I did nothing. I wouldn't have done anything Mm -hmm. differently. (laughs) Um, Because a majority of the time, there is something that both people can own. A lot of times it's the delivery. It's how you communicated with our relationship, you know, that, that I think is, you know, that I'm really, really proud of. There's still, we still practice all the tools. You don't get to a point where you don't need to utilize your tools. They just become a little bit more second nature, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't become void of pain either. It's not like those conversations don't hurt. They still hurt. I was just going to say to your point, it's worth the intimacy in my opinion. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't do it any other way. And it builds, right? Cause I would also agree with you that some things have been integrated and now we don't have to work really as much around, but I've also found that the subtleties, like somehow we're more sensitive, <laughs> like yeah. to the looks or to the, this, and I mean, it depends on the seasons and what's going on, right? We're both, he's got this huge venture that he's in, but it's just the attunement, right? When I said, we're always co-regulating with one another, like whoever we're around, but when we're around our significant other, right? It matters that much more. So we're usually that much more attentive to the dynamics. Uh, But when things are a little off and we don't know, we're going to notice and how we negotiate that is so important. And to be able to be able to see it, notice it and get back on track. It's really what it's all about. Truly. And, you know, I do want to underline what you were mentioning earlier that this, this all sounds super tidy in, in a lovely little Mm. podcast, but, you know, obviously we're talking about decades of practice and, Mm. and that we're not doing it for the fuck of it. We're doing it because it creates so much more richness and intimacy and, and connectivity inside of your relationship to work through this stuff that's hard and that society tells us not to work on that says, sweep it under the rug. You're asking for too much. You're being too needy. All of these things that we ascribe to it. So be compassionate with yourself wherever you are in your journey and please start stalking Jessica. She has a wealth of information. She has a beautiful (laughs) podcast. Can you please tell them where they can find you, where you hang out on social and talk a little bit about your freebie around shifting criticism? Sure. I just feel compelled to just add to what you're saying and that I also, the intimacy and the connection that I feel with my husband is so worth it. And my personal growth and the person that I am for doing it is so, I I love more who I am than I And I trust myself so much more. And the way that I show up in the world is a reflection of the work that I've also done that I take with me. So I think it is such a multi-beneficial endeavor. And yes, it is scary as shit sometimes and that it's not anything we're going to want to do and it's so worth it. So yes, I so am on board with you, Amy. So the podcast that I am the host of is Empowered Relationship Podcast. And you can find that on Stitcher, Spotify, 
you know, iTunes, all of the podcast players. And my website is drjessicahiggins.com. And I'm on most of the social media platforms. I am most active on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And the freebie is a guide. It's called shifting criticism into connected communication. And what I like about it is it gives some very concrete examples of what a critical tendency, again, just humanizing. This is something we all typically do at some point or another and might do. Um, Anyway, some of my own personal examples in there for (laughs) sure. So it's a critical what a critical statement might look like and then what a more connected or more of a vulnerable request would look like. So using the exact same example and, and really how to language it and really access that request or that fear. And so it gives us real guide around how to reverse engineer or really construct some of this. And sometimes it is a practice, right? Sometimes we might even have to fake it till we make it right. It's and just try it on and see what it feels like. So this does give some real guidance around that. Brilliant. I downloaded it last night. It's a gem. So all of you out there who love to have very specific verbiage or scripts, you'll definitely want to get your hands on that. We will be sure to throw that in the show notes. So I'm so thrilled to have you with us. I'm so glad I caught you. What great fortune. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I know you had all of this time to share your brilliant thoughts. I'm so appreciative. Um, So I will let you go. And I, again, just thank you so much. And I will talk to you later. Sounds great. Lovely chatting with you, Amy. All right. Bye, my friend. Bye. Oh my gosh. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that episode and are as in love with Dr. Jessica as I am. She is just such a wealth of knowledge. And if you go to the show notes and see how stunning this woman is, it is hard to believe that she's been doing this for 20 years because she looks like she's in her 20s. It's enviable. So I hope you got a lot out of this. And as always, make sure that you are deciding on one specific tactic that you are going to do differently, right? You can't just read a book on Pilates or a shit ton of books on Pilates and get ripped abs. You have to actually hit the mat. So don't just consume, 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 consume. Decide what you're going to implement. Take one thing from this show that you're going to start doing differently and get into action. Next week, I am really excited. I have a very special guest. My absolute best friend in the entire world is going to be on the show, and she's got some exciting things to share with you. You will not want to miss it. So we will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life.